0: The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective.
1: Sam Spade Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. I heard you were hobnobbing with a wealthy set of our city. If what I
2: was doing is their idea of hobnobbing, F, I'm glad I'm in the lower income brackets. What do you mean? What happened? I will only reveal that, Effie, in the intimate secrecy of our office. Was it that bad? Worse, F, emotions ran amok. Passions were strewn from fishermen's walk to the peninsula. <gasps> Hatreds festooned the very air. Oh. And there was jealousy, too. My... It was positively lurid, as they say.
1: Well, do, do, you, do you think it's all right for me to...
2: Do you hear it? Well, I'll expurgate it a little, F. I'll water it down to your strength. I'll use monosyllabic instead of polysyllabic words, and so on.
1: Now, Sam, I want you to tell me everything you think I should hear.
2: And then just a little more. It's a deal, F. Prepare yourself for listening, and I will shortly make my entrance with a saga of society skullduggery. The lowdown on the uptown and all that. Now, if we need a name for it, why not call it the Vendetta Caper? Or
0: the Revenge of Monte Cristoff? Transcribed for NBC William Spear Radio's outstanding producer Director of mystery and crime drama Brings you the greatest private detective of them all In The Adventures of Sam Spade
1: You don't have to call, Sam I'm right here Let me take your coat
2: Well, if he isn't this sufficient of you
1: Now be quiet and give me your coat
2: All right <laughs> Well, thank you.
1: Now, I've oiled your chair so it won't squeak. Sit down.
2: Well, you make me feel like an emotional invalid, but it's wonderful.
1: And here.
2: Oh, will miracles never cease?
1: A double. Well, That's eight-year-old stuff. I had Friskin's drugstore send it up. Applejack, it's called.
2: Applejack. Well, what brought it on, F? Why this particular polishing of the applejack?
1: Well, uh.
2: Come on, out with it.
1: No, I, I just thought. Well, you've been working with the rich people, and maybe you were handsomely compensated. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my back salary? Uh. Uh, You're not mad, Sam?
2: Well, as it happens, I did make a few dollars, and uh, yours will be the first account
1: settled. Oh, Sam! So,
2: it wasn't me. It was the money all the time. No, Sam, no, I just... I accept your apology. To Lieutenant J.F. Randall, San Francisco Police Department, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject: The Revenge of Monte Cristo. Monte Cristo.
1: Yeah. Is this a historical drama?
2: Christoph. C R I S T O oh, F wow. F. Monte, M O N T Y. And it's still a historical drama. Dear Lieutenant, Revenge is an old-fashioned motive, but when you get it raw and distilled, as in the Gosden affair, it's new all over again. This was the slow-burning, deliberate kind of passion that starts smoldering way back in the forgotten days and explodes among some people who never knew they were living over a keg of dynamite. It was yesterday morning that the distant sputtering of the fuse began to be heard by a man named Chandler Gosden. You know him, the hulking rich boy, the electrical appliance scion who took up professional boxing for a while. I think he was billed as Gold Plate Gosden, a society scrapper. And he was doing well, too, until a right cross by someone who needed the money more than he did sent him back to clipping coupons. Paid? Yeah? I'm Chandler Gosden. Oh, I recognize you. What do guys like you charge? Well, it depends on the job. Investigation. Sixty dollars a day. And, uh, any unusual expenses. Cheap? Well. And do you guys have some kind of a code, huh? Code? You know, like doctors. Do you keep things in confidence? Well, most of us do, including me. Well, uh, I don't suppose it'd make any big difference if it got out. I'm not afraid of him. I'd just as soon punch him in the mouth as look at him. Who? Monty Christoph. Heard of him? No, no. Moved into the peninsula, my neighborhood. Bought the major Dunhill place. Oh, yeah, I know the estate. Must have cost plenty to buy. 250000 I hear. Hmm. What's money these days? Everybody's got it. Yeah, isn't it awful? It's a tax scheme, I suppose. Ever since he moved into that arc of a house, he's been throwing parties. They're a cross between the last days of Pompeii and a Polish wedding. Hmm. He invites hundreds of guests, everybody who is anybody. Disgusting. But uh, it seems legal so far. He's been there four months throwing parties, inviting everybody in the phone book. Everybody but me. Well, maybe he just doesn't like you. What are you talking about? I'm one of the best-liked guys in the peninsula. Everybody likes me. Little kids, cops, the guys at the country club. I never had an enemy in the world. Besides, I got Virginia. Oh, who's she? My wife. Oh, one of the sweetest little girls that ever came down the pike. Well, my apology. She was a bald one. Oh. The year I married her, she was the social catch of the year among the women. Really? Yeah. So was I among the men. Well. Well, look, I got to tell you some more. A month ago, one of my company warehouses burned down. Somebody slipped up and the fire insurance hadn't been renewed. I lost Mm $350,000. Guess who had lunch with my insurance man a week before the fire? Monte Cristo. You got it. Next thing is, the rumor gets around that the Gosden Electrical Company is on the verge of bankruptcy. No, of course it isn't. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. A gossip columnist reports that I'm going to close up shop and beat it to South America with what dough is left. Then when the stock prices start dropping... Somebody suddenly buys them up so fast, they disappear overnight. Some corporation I never heard of called the the Dante's Corporation. I see. And then all my friends start getting unfriendly. Hmm. As soon as I show up, everybody stops talking. Act as if there's some big secret about me that I don't know. And they've all been to Monte Cristo's parties lately. That's right. The week after he arrived in town, all these things started happening. Now, what I want to find out is why. I don't even know the guy, but he's making a big change in my life. Well, it sounds like you're entitled to know. I don't know how far I can get. The best I can do is find out who he is, where he comes from, who his friends are, all those things. Okay, you're hired. Now, find out everything about this Monte Cristo. I've got to know what's going on.
3: I'm oh. oh, sorry, Chandler. I wasn't able to get here when you said. The traffic was absolutely unbelievable. Cars, cars everywhere. They must be giving cars away these days. Everybody has one. I think we should get a helicopter. Mr.
2: Spade, my wife, Ginny. Well, how do you do, Mrs. Gosden?
3: Chan, I hope you haven't lost your head and blabbed everything to him. I told you these sort of men weren't trustworthy.
2: I beg your pardon, madam? Look, Ginny, I told him, and he's a good guy.
3: Well, if you just want to go around giving your life secrets... Oh, shut thing, up, I...
2: will you? I'm the man of the house.
3: Really? And I suppose I count for nothing?
2: Oh, oh, forget it. Spade, I'm depending on you. Don't let me down. You wouldn't think a millionaire would be hard to biograph, but I came up with very little information on Mr. Monte Cristoff. He'd arrived in town four months ago, stayed ten days at the St. Mark Hotel, then bought his house. He had a bank deposit running into seven figures. He had no known business connections, just money. The register at the St. Mark said he came from Chicago, and an airline company verified that he'd been a passenger aboard one of their ships from the Windy City. This was as far as I'd delved when my place of business was entered by a man in powder blue livery. You, Spade? The same. Mr. Monte Cristoff sent me to pick you up. I see. Up for where? For his mansion on the peninsula. Oh. He said he knew what a rough time you must be having at your present job, and that he'd be glad to make the whole thing simple to you. Oh, you really said that? That's what he said. Well. Yeah. But I don't know what it means exactly. Well, I don't know what it means exactly either, but uh, here's one good way to find out. Home, James? Uh, my name is Bertuccio, sir. Bertuccio? I see. How long have they been calling you that? Well, let me see. It's about... What do you mean? I mean, it's my name. All right, all right. We'll talk it over in the car. The car was long and blue and smooth. I'm as democratic as the next guy, and I would just as soon have ridden up front with Bertuccio, but no, he wouldn't hear of it. I had to ride in a back seat with a window of bulletproof glass separating us. And thus we rode down to the peninsula. We glided down elm-shaded streets and finally through the gate of Monte Cristo's estate. The driveway was lined with spring green poplars. The mansion door was opened by a rear admiral, and I was ushered in. I wouldn't want to say that the living room was large, but I coughed once, and it was a full minute before the echo came back. A door opened somewhere, and a tan, hard-bodied man walked in across the marble floor with an outstretched hand. It was tougher than whalebone.
4: I appreciate you coming, Mr. Spade.
2: Mr. Christoph.
4: Did you have a drink? Champagne, scotch, Irish, what?
2: Oh, anything. Whatever you like.
4: Good. I figured you for rye. It's already ordered. Rye it is. Cigar? No, thanks. The custom rolled Havana's, made expressly to my own taste.
2: Oh, thanks anyway, but I have some beat-up cigarettes here,
4: son. Well, oh, try mine. The king of England, I did him a favor once he ships them over. Uh, how is George. <laughs> You drink, Mr. Spade. Oh, thank you, for Bertuccio. Now, you've been investigating me. Yes. And you haven't found out anything. How'd you know, Mr. Christophe? There was nothing to find out. I'm well, here, I'll do you a service and save you time and money. Well, that's a handsome offer, I accept. I was born in Michigan to a prosperous lumber family. I went to Phillips Andover in Harvard. Well. Mark's Fair. I served with the Army in the recent war. Major. Military police. Wounded twice. Mm-hmm. Parents died while I was in Italy. I inherited an enormous lumber holdings, which I sold. Hence my bank account. I like San Francisco. Came here and settled down. Well, you're
2: very kind, but I don't need all this
4: I have more money than a man can spend in a lifetime. And by that, I don't mean to boast it was an accident of birth. Yes.
2: yes. Now, Mr. Christoph, I'm only trying to find I out... I know what, what
4: you're trying to find out. Chandler Gosden put you on my trail.
2: Well, there's no need to deny
4: it. And uh, what would you take to get off my trail, Mr. Spade? Well? New car, a selection of fine liquor, a better job, cash. all rather
2: enticing. But uh, I'm afraid you've misjudged me, sir. I only work for one client at a time.
4: Is there anything wrong with switching your allegiance?
2: Well, I'm afraid it wouldn't be cricket. Uh, is that the way they say it at Andover?
4: Very well. Huh. Then I'm afraid I've given you all the information I can about myself.
2: Well, you've been very generous. But uh, just one other thing. How long did you live
4: in Chicago? Chicago? Yes. I never lived there. But you flew here from Chicago. Oh, that. I was just there on business. Uh uh-huh. Well, if you say so. Bertuccio is outside with the car. He'll drive you back to your office.
2: And with that, he turned and left me. Outside, Bertuccio was waiting. Impassively, he ushered me into the limousine and started out. Only we didn't head for my office. Instead, we seemed to be leaving town. I banged on the glass between us, but Bertuccio didn't choose to answer. When we stopped at a light, I tried the doors, but they were both mysteriously locked. I was a prisoner in a moving jail. I made desperate signs to passers-by and traffic policemen I knew, but they just smiled and waved back at me. It was all very jolly. So I sat back and waited. About 20 or 30 miles out of town, we pulled onto a lonesome road and stopped. Here we are. Well, just where are we and why? Now, don't blow your top. Kristoff told me to take you out here and to give you this. Oh? What's on the envelope? Money. Two grand to big Zack. Well, that's a lot of grands. Yeah, they're going to do a lot for you. You're going to take it and keep going north. 48 hours will be long enough, just so you keep out of Frisco. Well, just so you know how I stand, I'm going back. You know, I was hoping you'd say that. Now I can do things my own. <laughs> he pulled out a long black sap and started wielding. The first cut just grazed my head and smashed into my shoulder. I blocked his second blow and moved in for some close work. The third time he swung at me, his arm caught an overhead tree branch, and that was his undoing. He took four or five and then went down and out. I searched him, and his billfold revealed that he was Joseph Kowalski, late of Chicago, Illinois. The cards and addresses it contained left little doubt that Kowalski was in the rackets. I threw him in the car and drove back to town and police headquarters. He was awake by then, and I had to drag him into the hall. You want him locked up, Sam? What for? Assault and battery. Assault with a deadly weapon. Assault with intent to murder mayhem anything. You can't lock me up. I didn't do any of those things. Anyway, if I did do him, it was in San Martín County, not Frisco. Oh, Sam, I don't know what I can do. He's got to do something in our jurisdiction. Sure, see? All righty, pick my pocket on the way into town. Here, Kowalski. What? See, look, he's got my wallet in his hand right now. Why have all the brazen lawbreakers. Are you going to let him get away with this, walking right into headquarters with the evidence in his hand? Oh, wait a come minute. Come on, come on, Kowalski. We go pretty hard on pickpockets in this town. I'm being claimed. I want a lawyer. Get me a telephone. He was dragged away, protesting. He got no sympathy from me. He started. Lieutenant Randall then teletyped Chicago to find out more about him. In about an hour, the report came back. I won't read his whole record, Sam, but he's paid for everything they say. He's clean. Huh? However, it does say he, he was the bodyguard for a man named Barney Moffat. Hmm. Says Moffat was a shady business operator. Picked up several times. Nothing hung on him. Mm-hmm. He left town about the same time Kowalski did. He's listed as undesirable, but he's not wanted. Hmm. Thanks, Lieutenant. If a man named Barney Moffat had a hood named Joseph Kowalski as a bodyguard and they both disappeared from Chicago at the same time, the obvious conclusion was conclusively obvious. I drove the limousine back to Christoph's estate. But as I parked the car, my headlights hit another car. There was someone getting into it, Mrs. Chandler Gosling. Oh,
3: you! what do you think you're doing?
2: Remember me, Sam Spade? Oh,
3: detective. Yes. What are you following me for?
2: What were you doing in Kristoff's house? I thought he was a... wasn't a friend of yours. Or your husband.
3: Mr. Spade, get in, please. Let's talk.
2: Okay, spill it.
3: It's none of your business what I was doing in there. But whatever it was, I want you to forget you ever saw me.
2: That'll be pretty hard to do.
3: Would money help you?
2: In this case, no.
3: What do you care what happens to my life or Chan's or Kristoff? Because
2: your husband's paying me to worry.
3: All right. But if I were you, I'd just forget that you ever met any of us. Because this mess we're in is so bad that nothing you or anybody else can do is going to get us out of trouble.
2: With that, she burst out crying. and I couldn't get anything else out of her, so I let her go, and she drove off. I walked up to Kristoff's house, knocked on the door, and a servant opened it. I took a couple of steps inside when six pairs of arms grabbed me. Some of them had fists on them. The struggle was just getting lively when Christophe appeared. <laughs> Hell, I don't appreciate this kind of treatment, Christoph. You earned it, Spade. All
4: right, men, take a walk. No. Now, what's it all about? It was my orders. If you ever showed up here again, why'd you soften? I just heard about Kowalski. You managed that very well. I admire resourcefulness. How would you like to work for me? No thanks, Moffat.
2: Moffat, Barney Moffat, late of Chicago and the Rackets. So you know, huh? Well, I wasn't sure until just now, but you've cleared up the doubt. How much do you know? Very little. Just that you were a shady operator, but nobody's looking for you or anything.
4: Spade, I did a lot of things. Several years at tightrope walking with the law. But I never did anything that could jail me for it.
2: I have an idea you're considering doing something in the near future. What makes you say that? Well, it's a vendetta, isn't it? Monte off, and Bertuccio the steward and the dentist's corporation. You couldn't resist the drama, could you? All from Dumas' novel. But why? Why do you want to play the Count of Monte Cristo? What did Gosden do to you to merit all this revenge? Tomorrow. It'll be over tomorrow. And with that, he clutched at his heart and fell forward at my feet.
0: You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. chimes mean good times on NBC. If you've been searching for mystery on Saturday night, put away your magnifying glass and follow these clues. Dial this NBC station tomorrow evening and listen for the chimes, and then you'll be off on a perilous trip with The Man Called X, starring Herbert Marshall. And if you've been searching for music, too, on Saturday, then Eileen Wilson is your dish, as she stars in Your Hit Parade with Snooky Lanson and Raymond Scott's orchestra. (laughs) Back to the Vendetta Caper or the Revenge of Monty Christophe. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade.
2: I bent over and listened to his heart. It was okay. Monty Christoph had just keeled over, apparently, from a crescendo of emotion. He blacked out. I didn't want to be held up by his henchmen, so I left the room and walked out of the house without calling anybody. I walked down the road and, good luck, there was an empty cab cruising along. At Chandler Gosden's, I found him pacing the living room in a state of physical and mental disorder. I told him what I knew. Vendetta? Why? I never heard of him. I never did anything to the man. Why would your wife go and see him? I don't know. Why don't you ask her? Because she hasn't been home all day, and here it is, one o'clock in the morning, she's still listening. Tell me, is there something special happening tomorrow? Christoph seemed to think that everything would be settled tomorrow. It's our annual corporation election, just a matter of form. I'm elected president, a few other people voted into office, always the same people. Well, then he must plan to swing the election his way, maybe put you in office. Oh, got a fat chance of that. I don't care how much stock he buys, Ginny owns 10%, I own 41 that's 51%. If he bought 49% in the open market... That still wouldn't be enough. We could still outvote him. You're sure you've got the stock in your position? I saw it last week when I was down in the hall looking for my birth certificate. Stupid me. Forgot I don't have a birth certificate. No, that must be Edson, my lawyer. Called and said he had something on his mind. Chandler. Chandler, I have bad news for you. It can wait. No, no, it can't. This is Sam Spade, Ralph Edson. How do you do? Mr. Spade. Now, Chan, listen to me. All right, what's
0: biting you? Just this. We're liable to lose that election tomorrow. What? What are you talking about? We can't. I just found out that Monte Christophe has 59% of the voting stock in Gosden Electric. 15? He can't have it. Oh, look, wait a minute.
2: Wait a minute. If my wife sold her stock, he could have 59, couldn't he? He could. Spade. Huh? Are you positive you saw her coming out of Christoph's house? I'm afraid I did. I'm going to find her. I'm going to
0: find her, and if she sold any of her stock to Christoph, I'll kill her.
2: I tried to dissuade him, but he brushed me and the lawyer aside and ran out of the house. I called the police and told them to try and find Virginia Gosden before her husband did. Then I went looking myself. The first place I tried was Monte Cristoff's mansion. There were lights on, so I entered, gun in hand. I didn't have any time to dicker with
4: servants and bodyguards. And Christoph appeared in a matter of seconds. All right, Straight, what is it you want now? Virginia Gosden. She hasn't been here since the last time you saw her.
2: You know where she is? I haven't any idea. Well, if you know, tell me. Her husband's looking for her with homicide in his eyes. I can't say I'm sorry. Well, that's a nice sentiment. She sold you her stock in the Gazan
4: Company, didn't she? Since you seem to know about it, yes. Why? She in love with you? I think maybe she is. And you're in love with her? She's a stupid, empty-headed nothing. I can't stand the sight of her. I hate her. I... Hold
2: it now. You'll knock yourself out again.
4: Yes. Yes. Come over here. Take a good look at that.
2: Now, it's a pillow, an
4: ordinary pillow. So? You notice how dirty it is? Yeah. Notice that it isn't even stuffed with feathers? They were too good. It's stuffed with dirty cotton rags. Well? My father's head was lying on that pillow when he died. I've kept it ever since as a reminder of who killed him. Who did? A man named Elwood Gosden. A man who cheated and lied and stole everything he had in his life.
2: Chandler's father, huh?
4: Yes, My father and Elwood Gosden had a hardware store once. My father invented an electric iron. Ever heard of the Gosden iron? Yeah. It should have been the Moffat iron. Elwood Gosden stole the plans from my father, registered them first, and then drove my father out of business. He made a fortune out of it, and then went into other electrical appliances.
2: Well, things are beginning to gel now. My
4: father became a peddler and died poor and broke and ill. My mother died 20 years before she should have from overwork while the Gosdens grew fat and respected on the Moffat brains.
2: So you started
4: Joe Vendetta, huh? I started it the day my father died. I set out to make one thing in this world, money. And I made it in handfuls. You can look me up. Barney Moffat, Chicago. Gambling, black markets, gun-running, slave-trading, anything and everything that had a big profit in it. And then I set out for San Francisco... To break that Critten son of Elwood's and his whole family. And on the way, you lost a guy named
2: Barney Moffat. What difference? Huh. Look, you've got money now and everything you need, why go on with it?
4: I don't care anything about money. I only want to use it against them. Do you know why I had all those parties? To buy stock from people. Yes. Oh. Stock in a gas company. I've paid twice, three times what the shares were worth. But right now I own fifty-nine percent of the Gosden Enterprises. And tomorrow morning when the two of us meet at the stockholders meeting, I'm gonna vote him out of office and take over the company. And then I'm gonna drive it right into bankruptcy.
2: And you got Mrs. Gosden's stock by making her fall in love with
4: you. I had to. No, let's talk about it anymore.
2: About Chandler Gosden. He's a man with a very short and violent temper. He might come gunning for you. That's
4: just what I hope he does. Ask the man at the door to show you out.
2: I spent most of the night trying to find Virginia Gosden with no luck. Chandler didn't return to his house, so I didn't know what he was up to. It was early the following day when I got my first report. Lieutenant Randall called me down to police headquarters. We found her, Spade. Dead or alive? Oh, about halfway in between. She was shot in the chest at close range. Hmm. Gun right up against her. But she's still living. And what are her chances? Pam. Where'd you find her? In a walk-up apartment on Polk Street. It was registered to her. Looked like a love nest, a place where she met a boyfriend or something. No weapon. I see. I figure murder attempt, her husband. We have a pickup on him right now, but so far he's vanished. Shame. Fine old San Francisco family. (laughs) What do you know, Sam? Well, give me a free hand for a couple of hours, will you? Maybe I can do something for this fine old San Francisco family. I had no more idea than the police where Chandler Gosden was at the moment, but I had a good idea where he might be later in the morning. I put a call into Ralph Edson, his lawyer. The stockholders' meeting of the Gosden Company was to be held at 11 o'clock at their executive offices. Edson got me in, and at five minutes to 11, Monte Christoph walked in. There were three of us. None of us spoke. We just sat around a long, polished table, alternately watching the clock and the door. At 11-3, the door opened. Chandler Gosden stood there, rumpled, red-eyed, vicious. He had a gun. The first man who moves is going to get a bullet right in the face. Chandler, for heaven's Shut sake. Shut up. I... Is that the gun you tried to kill your wife with? It's the gun, but I didn't try to kill her. She did it herself because he drove her to it.
4: Me? Yeah, you, Christoph. You were meeting her in an apartment.
2: Don't think I've been
4: dumb. Put the gun away and let's get down to business. Are you kidding?
2: I got the same gun she used on herself and I'm going to use it on you.
4: Well, stop talking. You can get it over with. You act as if you want me to do it. All right. Edson? Spade? Clear out of him. Kazin,
2: use your head. I said get out of here, now go on. Okay, but don't take your eye off him. He's got a gun in his pocket.
0: Don't worry, I won't. Shut up! You were working for him. Working for him all along. Everybody was.
2: No, now listen to me. He wanted you to kill him. He doesn't care about himself. He just wanted you to be put away for murder.
4: Spade, this is our affair, not yours. Now look,
2: both of you shut up and listen. This is a tough thing to try to settle something that's been boiling up in you, Moffat, ever since you can remember. You spent all of your grown-up life trying to get back at the wrong man. It appealed to some ironical sense of yours to carry out the Monte Cristo revenge story. Now, let me ask you this. You remember all about Monte Cristo and how he ruined the people who had ruined his life and how his father died heartbroken. But do you remember the end of that book? Go on. He found that he couldn't bring himself to revenge the wrongdoings of families on their innocent children.
4: That reads good in a book, but I don't feel that way.
2: Well, maybe you will when you hear this. This man right here that you've spent 20 years getting ready to ruin is not even a Gosden. Huh? What? He's an adopted son.
0: Uh, Mr. Elwood hey, Gosden hey, hey. adopted
2: him from an Oakland orphanage on October 11th, 1907. I got the records to prove it this morning. I don't believe it. I would have known. Mr. Edson, you've always been the family lawyer. Isn't this true? <laughs> it was a long chance that Edson would play along with it. But to bring it off, it needed the final clincher. Lawyer Edson looked at me, then looked at Chandler Gosden. He gulped and licked his lips. It, it's true. It's true, Chandler.
4: Adopted? Uh, your, your father never wanted you to know.
2: Chandler didn't move. He just stood there stunned. But Barney Moffat sank down into a chair and buried his head in his hands. Edson and I looked at each other and waited. And finally, Christoph looked up and spoke.
4: Start the meeting. Mr. Edson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hereby declare the annual stockholders' meeting of the Gosden Company open. <clears throat> uh, uh, Mr. Gosden? I don't care
2: what happens now. I bow to the majority stockholder.
4: Oh. Uh, Mr. Christopher, <laughs> I beg your pardon. Mr. Moffitt. As the majority stockholder, I vote that the chairmanship of the Gosden Electrical Corporation... Remain as it has for the past 20 years with Chandler Gostin.
2: Period. End of report.
1: Oh, Sam, you were magnificent.
2: It was rather a staring scene, wasn't it? I was good.
1: But it was superb. It really was. Mm-hmm. Did he sign over the stock and everything? Oh,
2: he did indeed.
1: Oh. Sam. Hmm? Do you think the world will ever get to a time when everybody has all he wants, and instead of trying to get more, everybody spends his time just just trying to enjoy life?
2: Well, you know best, Effie.
1: Do you really believe that, Sam?
2: Well, you've got to believe something. It's better than nothing, I guess.
1: I have a theory, too, Sam.
2: Well, spout it out.
1: Well, if everybody in the world picks somebody else to be nice to, there'll never be any more trouble anywhere. Mm.
2: Hmm? Uh, how do you figure that?
1: Well... Before you can be nice to somebody, you have to think nice thoughts, Mm -hmm. see? And once you start thinking nice thoughts, well, you can see how silly the bad ones are.
2: Effie, come here. You know, I might just put you up as a candidate for a chair of philosophy at Columbia.
1: Oh, Sam. Mm. I know who you picked out to be nice to. Me. True. And I picked you. Mm. Good night, Sam.
4: Good night, sweetheart.
0: Tonight's transcribed adventure of Sam Spade was produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn, Lorene Tuttle as Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by John Michael Hayes. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. Tomorrow, Dennis Day and Judy Canova entertain you on NBC.